We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, everyone. This is Gwendolyn, and I'm delighted to greet you just a few days now before the holiday hits. Even though around here, I live in Portland, Oregon right now, we've been feeling the effects of it for weeks and weeks. Things are just kind of pepping up, and we're hoping that they go really quiet next week and we can have one of those long winter naps and just kind of recover from 2011 and go in happy into 2012 you know, this is a wonderful time of year for just for resting, for collecting, for recollecting, and uh, just being happy that uh, we got through the year with some real victories and some real challenges, and that we have a whole new fresh start, even though the difference is only from one day to another. It really does feel right across the planet as though we are starting fresh and that we can, uh, you know, move on to... Uh, get closer to our vision and get closer into uh, a happy place at our work and also in our lives. So I wish you the very, very best in the new year. We will be having a show next week. It will not be uh, an encore performance. I'll be um, adding another chunk of um, our 5S on steroids. Uh, we'll be uh, uh, talking a little bit about, a little bit more about how you implement um Visual 5S and then uh, begin to address the infrastructure and some of the other more subtle behind the scenes elements. That will take us into January. As you know, in this show, we celebrate and explore the principles and practices of workplace visuality. We want to let the workplace speak. And um, somewhere before the end of January, we'll make our announcement of the three winners of our Visual Workplace 10 Doorways Award. This is the first time we're doing it. And actually, our guest today, who's Trish Moody, is uh, been knocking me over the head now for uh, a long time to um, start such an award. And I, I, uh, I really appreciate it. I think it's very important for us to be able to have a profile of strong functioning visuality. And uh, the award will help us to identify that. Um, and today, uh, today we are welcoming um, Trish Moody, who is an expert in strategic 
sourcing, and even though strategic sourcing is slightly to the right or the left of workplace visuality, in my discussions with her, I felt it was important enough for uh, us to take Showtime on the visual workplace to bring your attention to it. Products are getting more complex. Supply chains are getting longer, and not just because they're located in other countries. Some companies are doing it right. Some are focusing on an integrated supply base, but it's more than that. But others don't think much about sourcing and the whole supply chain cost structure. And so I've invited Trish, who is an extreme expert, who's been doing this for somewhere between 30 and 35 years. She's an expert on what's called The Spend and author of many, many, many books, dozens of hundreds of business improvement articles, dozens of business books, five on strategic sourcing. And as uh, I've come to know this field through knowing Trish and through our recent discussions, this is largely overlooked, and she's going to scare you with some figures about how overlooked it is and how much it is worthy of your attention, even as you proceed down your journey of operational excellence and your journey towards a fully functioning visual workplace. These are not exclusive tracks. They need to be integrated. We need to get very, very smart about the way we do our business, the way we operate, the way that we improve and we really can't let any rock be unturned. We have to turn them all over. And some of these little rocks, when you turn them over, they turn into big mountains. So I think that might be your experience today. So I want to introduce um, Trish Moody. I want to thank you very much, Trisha, for joining us today uh, so close to Christmas and taking time out to uh, spend this hour with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Gwen. I am so pleased, before we get into talking about spend management, to hear your announcement about, about the award. Uh, I can't wait to see <laughs> what happens with the winners. Ah. I can't wait to hear who they are. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah, thank you very much, and thank you. Uh, you may not know this. In fact, I know you guys don't know this, you all who are listening, but Trish is the person who hit me over the head about 20 years ago and told me to uh, start writing on visuality. Uh, she was the editor, actually, of my very first book called Smart Simple Design, which is a way of decomplicating company architecture by simplifying product architecture and maybe we'll do a show on that sometime after we get a little bit more uh, on the visual workplace under our belt and excuse me Trish I meant to make this very important announcement at the very beginning forgive me but we are changing the name of my company which has been Quality Methods International for 21 years and as of January 1st it's called Visual Thinking Inc and uh, we'll talk more It's good, isn't it? Good. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. good. I'm very pleased. So please, if you would, if get us started with understanding your body of work, the work that you've been doing over the last 35 years, and just give us an idea of where you began and how you moved into the kind of work you're now expert at. Well, I'm a mill girl, and um, I guess I got this terrible obsession about manufacturing from my family. Um, the story I always tell is that when I was three years old, my father took me into the paper mill uh, to visit where he was a power plant engineer, steam plant engineer. And he lifted me up to look into the guts of a pulper, 
which is kind of a big mix master that takes uh, wood in and grinds it up and creates pulp, which is in turn rolled and chemicaled into uh, paper. And I remember how terribly noisy and smelly it was, but it was really exciting, (laughs) and I loved it. So somehow I managed to go into manufacturing and had a couple really good opportunities with some great companies to work in uh, factories and to work in material planning, material control, business planning, production control, and then to go into consulting, which was great because it meant that, you know, we're sent to all different kinds of companies. Like My first assignment was a steel mill, and I went to aircraft and metal bangers and Briggs and & Stratton and just a lot of great places uh, working on things that were really important to doing a better job in manufacturing. And then after a while, I started to realize when I was writing books and talking to people that um, the first area I'd ever worked in was purchasing, and it was it was still terribly important. And um, I started looking at what happens in the best companies in procurement and supply chain um, and discovered that there was a, just a huge range between the ones who were working at kind of a kindergarten level and then the companies that were really uh, taking control of their spend, taking control of their money, and using purchasing and supply management to leverage profits. Mm, so very interesting. I, I got very, very interested in that, and I think it's kind of an inevitable path that you take once you step into manufacturing. Great. So before we start looking at uh, that more closely, just give us an idea of your books and articles because you're a prolific writer. And uh, this is another way for you get, to get to know Trish and her work and also the material of strategic sourcing and other things. Just tell us, how many books are there? Well, I think there are uh, 14 or 15 books, uh, starting with a very basic one called Breakthrough Partnering, um, which just looks at how customers and suppliers form networks. Uh, I have Powered by Honda, Kaizen Blitz, uh, the Technology Machine, The Perfect Engine, um, let's see, The Big Squeeze. The Incredible Payback. The Incredible Payback, The Purchasing Machine. Oh, I think that's it. Mm. <laughs> Those, are the, <laughs> Those are some of the important ones. So before we go into the spend, might as well talk about for a moment the interface that you see between your world and visuality because this is a radio show about workplace visuality and I know you feel pretty strongly about it and if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to articulate that that would kind of give us that perspective well um, let me say that everything that we talk about here is about money in terms of spend management in terms of looking at supply management and so everything that we do when we take um, products and convert them from raw materials with human assists and machine assists involves really, if we're doing a good job, really good systems like everything you're teaching people about visual systems. So when we talk about, for example, looking at what suppliers to Honda, let's take Honda because we've written a lot about them and we have some good statistics on them. They have like 355 or 400 suppliers to their Marysville final assembly plant. 
And if we look at those suppliers, most of them are very high level of performance. And I'll and, just say that's, um, um, that's, that's in Ohio, Marysville, in Ohio. In Ohio, right, Marysville, mm-hmm. Ohio. So many of the suppliers are located within 24 hours of the final assembly plant. So if we go out and look at these places, at the, at the supplier shop floors and at their warehouses and distribution centers, they're going to be very well organized and uh, very easy to follow, very easy to read and observe. And I see that visual systems are hugely important piece of what makes these suppliers good. And so we're not just talking about Honda suppliers. I mean, we could look at many others or many independent uh, warehouses and DCs that have just really strong visual systems. And hang in my on opinion, just a companies the DC... that don't have that have really hard time tracking materials. Uh, taking care of rejects, um, improving flows, reducing cycle times, reducing inventories, all the things that we care about when we look at managing the spend. Mm, very good. And just for folks who aren't used to the acronyms, DC is Distribution Center, perhaps? Yeah, Distribution yes. Center. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Yeah, your your book on uh, Honda is it's powered by Honda, isn't it? It's a fa- powered fascinating by Honda, book. developing excellence in the global enterprise. Mm. Big big company, lots of refined systems. So now we're going to move to the main focus of today, which is strategic sourcing. So first, tell us what that means, and tell us why it's important. And we're going to be moving into a break in about a minute, so we'll start it and probably pick it up after the break. Go ahead, please, Trish. Okay, so um, strategic sourcing is the front end of a system that looks at the materials and the labor and the soft expenditures that we put together to make a product. So when we add up all the things that have to happen in order to bring materials in in terms of uh, contacting suppliers, doing bids, getting contracts, uh, pricing them, analyzing them, designing product. All that stuff is under the control of what we call strategic sourcing. So the end result of doing a good job of strategic sourcing is that we're going to place the business with the right suppliers at the right, pl- right price. And what does this represent uh, a year? What kind of spend? Uh, well, when you talk about the spend, in other words, how much uh, in terms of money the strategic sourcing people control, in a place like Honda, it could be 85 to 90% of the cost of, of the vehicle. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the savings, when you're looking at 80 to 90% of the cost of a vehicle... The savings, if you're able to achieve like 1% or 3% or 5% a year, are enormous. Enormous. I Just once one little change you... can make an enormous difference mm. in profitability. Okay, we're going into the break now, and when we come back, let's dig into that some more. Good. Thanks. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Hi. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. <laughs> oh, hello, Trish. You're still there. That's great. Yeah. Um, so here we are. We're talking about strategic sourcing. We're talking about the spend. Trish Moody, who is our guest, she's an expert in strategic sourcing, and she has been um, – she is the author of dozens of books – five or six of them on this very topic. And uh, we were just talking about what is this strategic sourcing and what is the money that's kind of attached to it? What kind of money does it represent? And um, Trish was just saying that it's 90, 90% of a car, for example, if you're looking at a car, 90% of the car happens outside, of the cost of the car happens outside of the uh, final assembly plant. It happens right. in the supply chains. So please carry on and give us some more ways of thinking about how big this number is because it well, is I like, important. I like to think about the, the, the money numbers, right? So um, there is this number that we've talked about that came from David Blanchard when he was head of a, a materials logistics magazine. Um, and he said that 8.5% of our gross national product in the United States was dedicated to uh, logistics and distribution, <laughs> means moving materials in and out, inbound and outbound freight, parts and pieces and finished assemblies, or a trillion dollars a year, just an enormous part of our gross national product. It's probably gone up because we're so much more global now. Um, there are a couple other ways of looking at this number. Another really big number that I love is from IBM, and um, 
there was a gentleman who was named um, after his death as the uh, head of a prize awarded by the Institute of Supply Management. His name was Gene Richter, and he was head of procurement at IBM during the turnaround that's covered in uh, Lou Gerstner's book, Who Says Elephants Can't Dance? And the great part about this is when uh, IBM would annually give its um, chairman's award, which was a big glass, probably it was crystal, actually, award. It would always go to a team from either marketing or sales or, you know, certainly not anything as unglamorous as procurement. But Richter and um, the chief procurement officer, who was uh, CFO, rather, chief finance officer, was Jerry York, the late Jerry York, who also was on the board of GM later on were credited by Gerstner when he wrote the book, Who Said Elephants Can't Dance, with generating the money that enabled the IBM turnaround. (laughs) So what they came up with, and this is an enormous uh, coup for spend management professionals, was uh, what we first estimated to be $9 billion. Later, uh, the number was revised to $12 billion dollars. And they did that by a lot of big decisions and some little decisions. But um, the things that they did at IBM around how you do procurement um, are a model for other companies looking to figure out how to organize and, and what kind of processes to build so that they can achieve that kind of uh, cash management. It's all about cash management. So we're going to, in a little bit, look at some small things that one can do to to kind of squeeze. We're calling this the big squeeze, to squeeze out a little bit, squeeze out a little bit. But it would be really helpful if you give us a profile of what kind of decisions you're talking about and what kind of breakthrough thinking these gentlemen at IBM uh, uh, entered into. Also, frame the uh, time period. Are we talking – what decade are we in when you're talking about um, – I would say it's in the late 90s. I don't know how long it took them to plan to do this and then to achieve it. Um, I'm, I'd have to go back and look at it. I'd say it would be probably two years, but they got the Chairman's Award in one year for their achievement. And, okay, so if we want to look at some little things and... No, let's do the big ones first, and then we'll, we'll drift ones. into the little ones, yeah. Okay, in so words, big they're... ones involve getting control of your spend, and that means generally looking at um, all the things that you buy and and putting them into categories so that you can kind of see what they add up all up to. Oh, I have to say something about um, the spend, the word spend. It's not something that, that everyone likes to talk about. Sometimes, you know, if you're a private company, you may not know or may not want to talk about what your spend is. Um, but it's it's kind of funny about Two weeks ago, I was meeting with a bunch of people in manufacturing, and um, I was talking to a company that's in um, manufacture of jewelry and other corporate award stuff, and I asked the head of manufacturing what the size of his spend was, and he thought I said spin, um, and so we were, <laughs> yeah, I was like, so we repeated it, and, and he didn't know what the size of the spend was. What he didn't know what it tallied up to, 
And I have to say that like 50% of the companies that I talk to don't know what their spend is. And so, you know, when you said, Gwen, let's look at some big things and some little things, well, figuring out how much you put out every year to uh, do cost of goods sold is a good first step. (laughs) So it's putting it out and it's making sure that key decision makers down the line are also aware of that so they can factor that in. This is a really interesting point, isn't it? It um, is. It's, be- it's kind of scary because, you know, we all think we know what the numbers are. Um, what happens is once you start digging into the numbers, you find surprises. You find um, things like agreements that were reached with suppliers that changed, uh, prices that changed. You find... Um, lots of little surprises in terms of what kinds of materials were shipped in. Did you get the stuff that you ordered and the quantity that you ordered? And did they bill you for what they said they were going to bill you? It's all this ugly, nitsy, gritsy little paperwork that sort of tells you what the actual spend is, what the real cost is of the stuff mm-hmm. that you're buying. And usually it's, it's off. There are always surprises in the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Surprises to the people who are doing the spending. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so talk to us, if you will, a little bit about the big squeeze. This idea about controlling and minimizing supplier costs. Now we're more in the nitty gritty of the dozens of things, small things you can do. And you wrote a book on this, and I think it's it would be really interesting if you tell us the premise of that book, how it came about. And how you got a lot of your material, and then and then tell us some of these cool ways, little things okay. we can do. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, this book is called The Big Squeeze, 10 Ways to Cut 10% of Your Company's Expenses Right Now. And right now is underlined and in bold <laughs> with big exclamation points. Um, because I think I got to a point of frustration um, with... Um, not seeing this really accepted or I, I think people's attention was diverted to a lot of other lean issues. Um, and meanwhile, the money was just so enormous here. I just got really frustrated. So I decided to write a business novel because I figured another textbook or a cookbook wouldn't do it, and I just was ready to write a business novel. So that's what this is. It has a little cast of characters. It has an imaginary company and lessons learned and um, all of that, but it's also supported by actual um, recommendations from real people in real companies um, who are on a blog that I set up sending in ideas for spend reduction. So I've got great companies like Motorola and... um, um, Respironics, which was acquired later, um, Ford. Oh, I might even have. I have some Delphi. I have some Honda. Um, so basically, what happened is we started getting um, dozens and dozens of suggestions about what you can do to improve the spend, and um, that's basically what was used in this imaginary company to to do what they had to do without having to lay off people. So, for example, in one of your examples, you talk uh, uh, a company that is dealing with packaging 
a furniture company that's producing in China. It's talking about packaging and it's talking about paying a lot of attention to how the product is being packaged and shipped in terms of squeezing the air out that's of right. the shipment. Yes, yeah. Well, it, it goes into that $1 trillion figure that Dave Blanchard quoted about how much we're spending on logistics and transportation. It costs a lot of money to ship air. It costs a lot of money to, to um, develop cardboard to pack things in with air and then to put them into trucks or uh, boats with air. And so the people who are doing a better job of logistics, spending much less on logistics, most probably are also doing some really smart things with packaging. And I just, I just love packaging. I just find that the most creative ideas are coming out of people who like to, to, you know, bang things around in labs and work on cardboard and plastic and all that kind of good stuff. I have an example here. It's and what? returnable pa- and returnable packaging as well. That yeah, returnable that had- packaging is a way that you can reduce your spend and you can also make your your supplier's life easier. Um, and the idea also about returnable packaging is that, or totes, is that you will have better control over the arrival of materials into the, uh, the production floor. In fact. And people who are having good success with this kind of packaging find that, and they have higher quality parts because there's less damage, find that they can also do more line-side deliveries directly to the work center, which takes time and inventory out of the um, flow and just saves all kinds of money. Mm. So um, that's another piece of the spend that's been somewhat neglected. But and it's, you know it's what we're going to do, Trish? We're going to pick this up as, right after the break. Here it comes. Okay. Yeah, great. Thanks. See where that little break is. It was here a second ago. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Entrepreneurial Insights is your weekly excursion into the world of business ownership. Presented by Sunbelt Business Brokers, the leading business brokerage and intermediary firm in the world, Entrepreneurial Insights will examine critical issues that impact both existing and prospective business owners. If you own or want to own a small business, listen for Entrepreneurial Insights with John Davies, Pino Boccinello, and Matt Ottaway. Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? 
Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, here's it's Gwendolyn again, and I'm here with Trish Moody, an expert in strategic sourcing. We've taken a little left or right turn from workplace visuality, and we're in this whole other world of strategic sourcing, and even though it's part of our operational project uh, process, it is not exactly tied to the kind of improvement initiatives that visuality and lean uh, uh, focus on, and yet it is so important. Trish was telling us that there's a trillion dollars worth of logistical costs going out the door every year, and some of those costs ain't necessarily necessary. So we've been talking about some small ways, some big ways, big decision-making about how you approach your suppliers and how you uh, categorize them. But we're also talking about some small ways, and we were talking about that just before the break. So, Trish, if you would just go on and give us a few more things that could easily be done to squeeze this uh, squeeze this 10% out. Well, let's take a look. We mentioned, uh, you know, just simply walking through a factory and, and trying to see what looked like um, evidence of opportunities for savings. And one of the things I had a couple of people mention to me was the idea of looking in the shipping area for an excess of Federal Express premium shipment boxes <laughs> because that just tells you that things are going out too often on an emergency expedite basis. And, right. and that might mean there's a, a problem with control of the schedule. It could mean something as simple as somebody checking a box that says premium shipment rather than regular um, you know, ground shipments. And, and you don't know until you look and see why that's being done. Um, second thing you might see walking through there is dusty boxes. Things that have been hanging along, hanging on too long need to be looked at and disposed of and either sold as excess inventory or returned to a supplier or scrap or shipped to customers. Mm-hmm. Um, Something else that people mention as, and I think maybe more people know about this now because of the state of the economy, um, but Dell wrote to me, a gentleman at Dell wrote in to me about how they bill customers and how they pay uh, suppliers. And they actually bill customers, B-I-L-L, as machines are being built, B-U-I-L-T-D. Um, it's like fast, fast, fast. And when they first started doing this, it was a little bit of a shock to the system for uh, their competitors. But what they're trying to do is just shorten the time 
between when someone orders um, a finished product and when you're actually paid for it. And you can try to do that on paper by, um, you know, accelerating the order process, and you can try to shorten the time uh, it takes to get paid if you're a supplier to Dell um, by changing your payment terms. But um, it looks like most of the people who are making real progress in this eventually end up doing it through improved um, order processing systems. So that's another way of looking at it um, and look of coming up with money. Um, there are other ways of looking at how you develop packaging. We seem to be spending a lot of time talking about packaging and logistics, and I guess we're doing it because it costs so much money. But there's a wonderful example in the book from a professor at Michigan State named Diana Tweed, T-W-E-D-E, and she talks about a Hewlett-Packard radical design change in packaging that saved millions and millions of dollars. And basically what they called it was palletless shipping. And it meant that um, printers would be packaged in a way that they required um, no heavy pallets underneath at the bottom of the uh, box, um, which saved in weight and in bulk. So, And that was something that people had to think through and understand how they were going to get mm-hmm. ship, you know, mm-hmm. ship large quantities of printers um, across oceans. So it's a really good example. Um, I have an example in the book from Delphi that talks about changing the specs on um, shipment boxes from heavy cardboard to heavy paper. Um, so that freed up space in the boxes as well as weight, and they took a couple hundred thousand out of um, the cost of packaging as well as uh, trucking costs uh, with that change. Mm, that's really so, impressive. Yes. I mean, it's huge, It's a, and, and a lot of it has to do with digging. I had this wonderful statement from a guy um, in design at Harley-Davidson who said that whenever a new motorcycle was um, dreamed of, um, when the design team at Harley first started thinking about a new bike, a packaging engineer would sit on the design team, like from day one, mm. which meant that every decision about what a bike was going to weigh, what the specs were, what the parameters were, mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. understood by the design guy at the beginning so that as the bike was being pulled together, um, the, the whole engineering process included everything about um, packaging and shipping. That's really smart, really it's smart. Impressive, yeah, yeah. It's impressive. So, Trish, let me name a uh, an elephant in the room right now, <laughs> and that is, <laughs> I see it over there. It's kind of squeezing me out. Snorting and <laughs> scraping his feet. <laughs> right, looking a little fierce. Um, lots of people who are listening, I'm guessing, are from the world that I know of operational improvement, and that world is dominated by uh, improvement technologies such as Kaizen and Lean, and increasingly visual. Increasingly visual is seen as its separate con- as a separate contributor, aligned and integratable, but still distinct. Um, and 
a lot of the things that you're talking about through those ears, to me, sounds as though, oh, yeah, well, we need to Kaizen the purchasing and the procurement function. We need to, uh, you know, squeeze that through the tech- techniques that we know now, standardized work, um, create pull, uh, eventually, um, you know, just improve the heck out of it. And yet, I believe, <laughs> I believe that you together. Yeah. And give them a mission and send them out on the floor or send them into the office, right? And, and that, yes, and that in fact will have an impact. But because I know you work pretty well, I know that you have a somewhat removed view of that. And I want to ask you to speak of that so that we don't miss the boat here. So that we, which I, I think has been happening a lot lately, don't make the same horse carry the same burden or hmm. a burden that isn't really built for its back. So hmm. will you talk about that whole uh, piece of how lean and uh, the issues of the spend strategic sourcing um, interface, please? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know what to say about how Kaizen, for example, relates to or doesn't relate to strategic sourcing. Because having written a couple books on Kaizen, I see that it's a piece of the picture, but I don't see it as a competing methodology. So I don't have a problem talking about that. Um, I'm not sure what happens when uh, people in manufacturing look at procurement. But when I look at procurement and strategic sourcing, I think about... um, managing the spend and looking at the the money that has to be spent in ways that allow me to get, allows me to get closer to what's happening around the spend so it's a different process i mean we're looking at um, enormous amounts of information um, a lot of it is in paperwork a lot of it you have to dig for um, sometimes what people do is go out and hire an intern for a couple weeks just to dig through uh, purchase orders and receipts to understand what's going on. Um, so that's like a first level. But then the second level that's just so hugely important um, is deep and rich and rigorous understanding of the market for which the commodity planner or the category manager is responsible. So if we use the term category manager to describe somebody that, oh, maybe 20, 30 years ago when I was doing it was called a planner or a buyer. What we mean is somebody who knows his industry inside and out um, and who would be responsible, for example, for buying all aluminum castings for Honda or all chromed parts for Harley-Davidson or all acetaminophen and packaging materials for McNeil, Johnson & Johnson. So somebody who does that kind of job lives and breathes what's going on in the market for these materials and watches prices and competitive figures on a a big screen the way you would expect a, a, a commodity trader on the floor in the stock exchange. So that's a really different process from doing a Kaizen blitz. And I don't think that these activities are exclusive, but I think that for some reason we've gotten really fascinated with Kaizen blitz for the past 15 years, which is great. I mean, it was glad, I'm glad we did it, but it's time to look at some of the other things now. Um, 
maybe to the exclusion of looking at um, strategic sourcing piece, the spend management piece. Does it have something to do with the fact that this this spend has to do with a global economy now? Is that what is drawing our perspective to looking at issues other than operational excellence? Well, it's interesting. If you've shipped your manufacturing to China, but you're still buying the materials, or you're trying to find people closer to where your manufacturing is in China to buy the materials for you, then you're playing all kinds of games in spend management, and you're really worried about the dollars. Um, If you're um, still manufacturing in the United States or in North America, and you find that you're competing with China for steel or for aluminum or oil, then you're forced into really doing a good job of, of placing contracts and negotiating contracts and then watching what's going on with, with your markets. So, and I think so put, that maybe 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have to do that as much as we have to do it now. If you were to give it a weight, just to kind of, uh, uh, we're going to go into a break now, we can pick it up afterwards, but to give us a, 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 an anchor, and you're looking at the spend and you're looking at the contribution and and the uh, listeners should know that you've written two to three books on Kaizen and Lean Improvement. What is the balance point between what Lean can do and what this other bigger perspective can do? And we'll take our answer when we get back. Good. Thanks. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, 
Back to the program. So here we are back. This is the last segment of our show. We have eight or nine minutes left to kind of put a bow around this discussion so that you understand what it's about and so that I understand what it's about. I'm kind of learning as I go along as well. We're here with Trish Moody, who is a hands-down expert in strategic sourcing, supply chain management, partnering, and also years and years and years in the field of Kaizen, Kaizen Blitz, process improvement. So she's really living in both worlds of both operational excellence and also uh, executive decision making. And just before the break, we were talking about um, how to describe this so that we don't think, and I think that's the direction that you're uh, guiding us towards, Tricia. I hope I'm not just making this up, but I think this is what you're saying, that don't don't expect lean tools to be able to bail us out of that trillion dollars and give us a 30 to 40 to 50% savings. Even though that can help, there's something else afoot here. And I was asking before the break if you could kind of give us a, some handles about how much of it can be addressed successfully through the lean tools that we have. And I'll just put visual on top of that. So visual lean operations, and how much is outside of that um, that that ranch? How much is you know still in the state, but not not uh, available to those interventions? Well, that's a great question, Gwen, and it's a wonderful summary of this kind of odd position we find ourselves in, which is, um, I think. Uh, that the work that we've done so far, the very good work with Kaizen and Lean in manufacturing, is great, but we use different tools to achieve those ends, um, different tools compared to the ones that we would use to do really outstanding, like IBM-type outstanding work in strategic sourcing. So the gains that you're seeing in Kaizen may be enormous at the beginning. And we always talked about 20 and 30 and 40% improvements in cycle time and reduction of inventories and um, improved quality. But that's within production. That's not, um, that doesn't translate directly to the big numbers that we're looking at in spend management. Excuse me, I just need to intersect. And I've also seen tremendous process of improvement in the operations of procurement, in the operations of purchasing, in the operations of quotes and billings and all that administrative aspect. That that's also very given to a process improvement, lean approach, attacking the wastes, attacking the wastes and making incremental improvement through Kaizen. So we're, but you're including that as well, am I right? In terms of yes, what? I sub- yes, I, I guess what I'm trying to to see is the difference between let's see if we're in the same place. The difference between the gains that one would see by doing a kaizen on the floor in production, and the difference that you would see in and the changes that you would see by doing good spend management in your strategic sourcing area. And it's you're talking about single-digit versus double-digit uh, changes in your spend, cost of goods sold. So there's just a lot of – there's a big difference in the money. And the money so- in spend management reductions are immediately realizable. 
sometimes I think that when we do improvements on the shop floor in Kaizen, we improve processes, but we don't get the immediate money back from doing it until we either run the inventory through the factory or, um, you know, speed some customer orders through. It's, it doesn't always have the same immediate impact. But if I you understand. negotiate a centralized buy, for example, for all chips, instead of buying them individually, let's say you buy 3,000 different kinds of chips when you're an electronics producer and you have like several hundred suppliers of those chips, a consolidated centralized category buy would say, let's just look at what we do in chips in total. You know, maybe it totals 30 or $40 million per year. And let's see if we can figure out the best way to buy and to contract for delivery for that entire category. And that's a different way of looking at how you spend your money. It's that's not really something... Of, mm-hmm. Excuse me? It's a different order of magnitude. It's a different order of magnitude. It's also different tools. There's no way mm-hmm. that I could look at a parts list for thousands of chips and figure out what to do with them. I, I mean, gotcha. I'd just be blinded. Gotcha. You just get, you couldn't even get the, all the stuff out on printouts. Probably the information doesn't always exist. But. So if you were, if you were to do this thing, perhaps it's too uh, challenging. If you were to look at that trillion and you were to say, based on your expert uh, experience, how much of it is given to lean Kaizen waste reduction and how much is this kind of strategic thinking? Would it be a 70-30 split? Would it be a 90-10? Just give us an idea because we're trying to get, in a way, we're trying, I'm asking you to describe something that is invisible to some of us and to certainly many people in operations. And that's the real behind the scenes uh, piece on the strategic sourcing. It's kind of invisible. 80-20. 80-20, wow. 80-20 if you push it. We, we generally say that people who are just starting to work on supply management in the spend area can probably take, oh, 1% to 3% out of their spend just by studying it, doing a little bit of centralized buying, maybe changing suppliers, uh, maybe reducing inventories, um, just, you know, just barely getting into it. Um, the next level of, we'd say, an intermediate level can probably get consistently 5 to 10% out of their total spend. And then we have the people who achieve more or who achieve, you know, 10 to 20% the first time they do it. And then that's the low-hanging fruit and then mm-hmm. find it a little bit harder to kind of sustain that kind of percentage. I uh, wonder what would happen, Trish, if the lean folks and the sourcing folks became kind of accomplices <laughs> i wonder what would happen you know is um, that happening in any kind of robust way that you know of or no, is that I've still been in watching the future this for a while and um i i don't understand um they're not there's this deep chasm between the the people who are over in what i call the lean side and then the other people that are on the spend management, strategic sourcing side. And I don't really understand why that chasm is so deep and so wide. Um, it seems to have gotten stronger in the past couple of years, um, even though they're, they're both working toward um, better accountability for cost of goods sold. Is it like emotional? 
I mean, is it just kind of a cultural thing? I don't know. I, I hate to talk about cultural transformation and cultural issues. I think... Mm. Uh. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to wish, wish everybody a Merry Christmas. On that note, we'll be with you uh, in the week be- between Christmas and the New Year. And Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have found this show to be provocative and I- introducing some new things to think about. We'll get back to visuality next week. Thank you so much, Trish, for uh, being here and for explaining this. I have found it to be fascinating. And uh, you, gee, should we say something about Blue Heron? We may not have time. I'll let me let you go out on Blue Heron. I'd love to. I'd love to announce Blue Heron Journal. It's my new online magazine for thought leaders and decision makers. And it's got features and book reviews and lots of pictures. Feature on this issue is on spend management. The next issue will be on um, assess yourself. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Trish. And Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, everyone. Bye. See you next time. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.